0: It is a, uh, a true joy to be with you all today. It's a great day. It's, uh, there's memorable things happening. Worshiping the Lord, every, every Lord's Day is a memorable day as we worship the risen Savior. We just have a little extra today uh, as we have confirmations and reaffirmations and receptions and we renew our faith together in the Lord. And uh, as you've heard announced already, the, and we'll hear again, uh, the first picnic in seven years, and so I mentioned in the first service, this is this is going to be an amazing picnic because in the Bible seven is the number of perfection. So we're about to we're about to experience the perfect picnic. <laughs> you know, I, I hope you'll be able to concentrate during you know the message and and the service. Now that I've got you thinking about the perfect picnic, uh, it is really a joy to to be with you today and. Uh, I wish so much my wife Terry could be here. Uh, She's such a blessing to me and to folks as we travel. She went to uh, visit uh, one of our spiritual moms in Florida uh, two weeks ago to stay for a week and then uh, some electrical problems in the Ford Edge decided to extend her vacation by a week (laughs) and uh, so she is on her way home uh, today and uh, she would love to be here and I, I send her greetings to you as well. This, uh, this day in our Christian year and our calendar is Trinity Sunday, the first Sunday after Pentecost. We're, we're aware, very much aware, that as the church we're birthed to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And for months now we will live in that season, recognizing that each each day we live in the fullness of the Spirit as Christ witnesses. But the first Sunday after Pentecost Sunday is is trinity sunday. Sunday where we remember specifically one of the core tenets of our faith that we the god we worship is one god in three persons in perfect unity. And you find that reflected through the liturgy and through the word that's preached, through the prayers that we pray, the creed that we confess. And uh, and so it's it's always there, but today we remember because it's so crucial. In the early years uh, of the church, so often when, when people would drift into heresy, it would, it would be either around a misunderstanding of the nature of God, one God in three persons, or around the, the perfect, uh, perfect God-man Jesus in fully divine and fully human. And so in the early years, the church would often encounter this, and that's why our creeds reflected so clearly that we stay in the faith, as we heard in the in the Corinthians passage, to examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. Um, the message today pers- is not specifically about trying to give you a theological development of the Trinity. Um, I will throw out an illustration or two. I didn't do this in the first service, so don't tell them that you got something <laughs> they did. Feel, feel free to share it as you will. Um, many illustrations in the past in history have been given of the Trinity, but but any of those illustrations or metaphor always seem to fall short based on, you know, just the nature of the universe we live in and trying to describe a spiritual mystery. But uh, I, I had somebody share one with me one time who uh, pointed out to me and gave me some documentation on it that under the under the proper laboratory conditions, it is possible in the same chamber to have uh, ice, liquid water, and steam present. It's called triple point. Um, I don't know how to explain that to you because I'm not a scientist. Uh, Another one that comes from science though is one that I heard from one of our senior missionaries years ago who had a a PhD in botany, but the illustration is not from the plant kingdom, but rather he, he would give an illustration of the Trinity In terms of light, we we read in the scriptures, God is light. And he he gave this simple illustration that I think is helpful for me in trying to conceptualize. There There is something known as light. Light is an energy, and it's expressed in wavelengths. And so he said, light energy, the one energy of light actually gets expressed in, th- in three different uh, places along the bandwidth of that wavelength. And so on one end, there is infrared light, which is not visible to the human eye. On the other end is ultraviolet light, which is not visible to the human eye, but they're always there and they're always present. That's why we put sunscreen on and uh, why they, they can do certain kinds of tests using infrared and things. But in the, in the center is white light or visible light that our eyes can take in and behold. And he used that as an illustration of the Trinity, the Father who is spirit that no man has seen, and the Holy Spirit, spirit moving like the wind, going where it will. We don't see it, but we see the effects. And then in that middle is the Son of God who became flesh and dwelt among us to vis- visibly show us, the character and nature of the Father. So there you go. There's an illustration for Trinity Sunday. I hope it helps. But what I'd like to do is is think not just about the reality of the Trinity, but the significance of of how it shows up in the scriptures, the context in which we get these glimpses of the the perfection of the Trinity in, in relation to what God is doing in the world. And I want to begin with two verses of Scripture that illustrate this. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul has been writing to Timothy about very practical matters as as a leader of the church. And in typical typical Pauline fashion, maybe he was tripping too, I don't know. (laughs) um, On the Holy Spirit, right? Hey, I think there's a Pentecost sermon in that for next year. Make a note, tripping on the Holy Spirit. Uh, In typical Pauline fashion, he can't help but just begin to praise God. And he starts declaring the majesty of God. And in that declaration, he says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be the glory and the honor and the majesty forever and ever. So there he's he's speaking of what theologians call the economic trinity. That comes from the Greek word for household. The, the trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this unit of perfection. And, and it, we, don't, we don't experience it. We've, we've not been there. We're, we're not in that in that trinity, or it wouldn't be a trinity. I don't know what number it would be. It'd be far too many. Three in one. And there's no way we would know or understand what that God is like unless he reveals himself to us. He dwells in inapproachable light that none of us has ever seen. But what we do experience is what the theologians call the imminent trinity. The the reality of who he is as he has chosen to draw near and reveal himself to us. That's what imminence means, close at hand. And so this is what John wrote about in the opening chapter of his gospel, describing Jesus in verse 18, saying, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, that is Jesus himself, he has made him known to us because the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so God has, in his kindness and his mercy and his love, willed to reveal himself to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through his written word, through the living word, who became flesh and dwelt among us, through the work of the Holy Spirit, revealing truth to us. And in that regard, I I think with you about about how the, the very nature of, of who God is gets expressed in the world. The, the early Eastern fathers in the church had a term that they would use for what happens in, within the Trinity. And they, uh, I won't give you the Greek word, unless you're Greek, you probably already know it, but it translates literally the dance, the divine dance of interaction between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit giving and receiving expressions of love. That tells us that our God is a personal God. He he interacts. He is a relational God. It tells us that our God is an expressive God. He doesn't keep to himself. He can't help but shine forth. And so in the scriptures, we see that in numerous places, including the portion that was read about the creation account today. So here is God choosing by his perfect will to give expression to his glory and his splendor and his majesty by creating, by creating a a beautiful, full, complete, glorious creation that reflects his beauty and his splendor. And so day after day, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then on that last day of creation, a, a reference to the Trinity Let us make man in our image. And humanity is created to be a reflection of the glory of God, shining forth, expressing himself to us. This is is true, we see it in the scriptures, around creation, of his desire to have uh, a creation that relates to him in all of his love and imminence and beauty and glory in our lives now some of us haven't experienced all of that in fact all of us have not experienced all of that because of sin and disobedience and the fall that tarnished that creation and hindered that relationship with god but god will not be put off god Will complete his purposes. And so what he created for that relationship, he redeems for that relationship. And it's notable as you go through the scriptures, Old and New Testament, the number of times you see God on mission to restore his creation to himself, and in that account, you will find revelations of the Trinity. One that's uh that's was brought to my attention some time ago by Deacon Aranaimi, who uh, who ministers in Jerusalem and, and is regularly sharing the gospel with folks from the Jewish faith who have, have difficulty understanding how we think of the one true God as a trinity of three persons. And yet he'll often ask them to turn in their scriptures to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 48, an account where Isaiah is uh, the, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah about how he desires to come after wayward Israel that is turned away in idolatry and disobedience and how he will send his servant to restore and redeem them. And in verses 16 and 17, this is what the Lord speaks to the prophet. Draw near to me. Hear this. From the beginning I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Interesting. The Lord God has sent me, his servant, and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. The Trinity gets expressed, the will of the Father The will of the son, the will of the spirit, all moving forth, expressing perfect divine love to be related to the creation perfectly to the fullness of his majesty. We find it in the scene of Jesus' baptism at the River Jordan. And so Jesus, it says in Matthew chapter three, comes up immediately out of the water. And as he does, the Spirit of God descends upon him in the form of a dove. It does not say the Holy Spirit is a dove. He is not a bird with feathers, but in the form of a dove. And then a voice from heaven, the Father speaking, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revealed in time and space. And what is the context of it? It's about Jesus going on mission to redeem and restore all of creation back to that perfect Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He shortly after turns to the book of Isaiah and declares the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to set the captive free. The saving, redeeming work of God expressed as the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We we see it over and over again in the scriptures. I'm on dangerous ground right now of beginning to riff. Um, I'm thinking about all that the, 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 the Gospels and the scriptures speak about, this glorious work of salvation. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He also says, no one comes to him except the Father bring him. And we're told repeatedly through the scriptures that it is the Spirit of God who regenerates us. We must be born of the Spirit, the fullness of Godhead working to redeem and restore us in our lives. Back to the notes, safer ground. Um, And so we come to the gospel text for today in Matthew chapter 28. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, a revelation of the Trinity in the context of what? The redeeming will and purpose of God to bring all people, all nations, back into relationship with himself. So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how, you know, this, this movement of what God is doing in creation and then redeeming and restoring it is, is of epic proportions, I hate hyperbole. I hate hyperbole. Uh, I have I have resisted it with great fervor in over four decades of ministry. I hate it when people get up and talk about, you know, uh, our 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 uh, our whatever event that we're having in the church is absolutely epic. You know, it's 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 of enormous proportions, and uh, well. I kind of hyped the picnic a little bit today, but <laughs> it 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 was in it was all in good humor, okay? You understand the perfect picnic will be the marriage supper of the lamb, no ants, okay? Or well, they'll, they'll be there, but they won't bother us because they're part of his creation. But the the idea that how do you think about these epic stories? And so we we have those with creative minds like Tolkien and Lewis who are able to write these things of the reality of the gospel as epic stories and yet as i was thinking and praying about this last night this is what what i sensed and heard in my spirit god is not a galactic potentate who is seeking to subdue some alien civilization god is a loving father seeking to save and reconcile his alienated children his family The fullness of his creation back to the fullness of all that he is and here's the beauty of it we see it in this commission that he's given in in the in this context of the trinity we are commanded we are invited we are called into sharing in that glorious purpose in all the earth and so Before he ascends back to the Father, he gathers his followers together and he gives them what we call the Great Commission. Go therefore. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, we are invited by the grace of God into something glorious, where God in all of his fullness and splendor and majesty is reaching out to the world in love, expressing his saving nature to call all people to himself, and he has brought us into it with him. He brings us into that glorious quest with him i want you to notice how epic it is how absolutely broad and high and deep and powerful and grand and majestic the scope of it the glory of it because in this little passage you see for alls this is for folks who like to take notes by the way For alls all authority all nations all commands all time and places Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. When John on Patmos saw the revelation of the risen Christ, he he revealed himself as the one who holds in his hands the keys of David, the keys of the kingdom. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. The keys are the symbol of the authority of the risen reigning Christ fact, in, in Revelation chapter 5 is what, what I believe is one of the most glorious uh, pictures you'll ever see in the scriptures. When John, by invitation of the angel, stands before the throne, sees the vastness of the glory of all of his creation, and there is a scroll with seals on it, that is the consummation of this quest to redeem and restore all things, but no one can be found who is worthy to open that scroll. And so John begins to weep, and the angel tells him, do not weep because there is one who is worthy to open the scroll. And there he comes forth, like a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and he takes the scroll and he breaks the seals, which is literally the consummation of his title deed to all of creation. And the scriptures tell us that he is using all authority in heaven and on earth to seek, to save, to heal, restore. The power of the saving grace of God. All authority given to me that will be exercised for the salvation of humanity. And so go and make disciples of all nations. The actual actual command in this this phrase is not the word go. In the original language, the command is, make disciples of all nations. Make followers of me, of all nations. And the way you do it is by going, baptizing, and teaching. But it's all nations. Pantata ethne, all of the ethnicities, all of the people groups all of the tribes all of the tongues all of the peoples of the earth this this saving expression of God's divine love reaches to every person to ever live on this earth made in his image for his purposes i mentioned in the first service one of the one of the worst things i've I, I've ever heard said in the church in my life now I've been a believer I I grew up being in the church uh, except for the two years I was a very very seriously committed heathen Um, I've been in the church most of my life I I take things seriously and uh, so I, I was very committed to pleasure for myself and forget about everybody else in the world didn't turn out very well And so I encountered Jesus who came after me to redeem me to himself. And so um, uh, I've heard some things in the church. Um, But I remember being in a conversation one time where our church was located and we're talking about the different peoples who lived around the church and how we would reach out to them with the gospel. And someone uh, said, but pastor, you know, they're not our kind of people. By the grace of God (laughs) I didn't fall prey to my carnal nature but the reality of it is they are our kind of people. All of us are his kind of people. We're created in his image for himself. His heart cannot help but be moved toward everyone he's created in his image. And he's brought us in because he saw us as his kind of people and has invited us into that mission to all, all the nations. And then he says, as we do that, we make disciples by teaching them to to obey all that he has commanded them. Um, Some translations say observe. I don't like that translation particularly because too many times we think of observe as to stand looking on. But the word actually also means to engage in, obey, and carry out. That's what it means. To practice everything I've commanded you to practice. To do everything I've commanded you to do. In this great quest, in the kingdom of God, there are not doers and watchers. At least there shouldn't be doers and watchers. The, the idea of, of a passive, uninvolved Christian should be an absolute contradiction in terms. He's invited all of us into this glorious quest together. We all have a part by his grace. And the good news is, as we say yes to him and say yes to that task, he gives us this amazing promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the ages, even to the consummation of this quest when the fullness of the Gentiles will come in and believing Israel will be saved and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. I believe it. I will see it with my eyes by the grace of God. We will experience it together. And what a privilege it is to bring others with us into that glorious fullness as well. And in light of that tremendous promise, the early church father, John Chrysostom, said, so let us not fear and shudder. Let us repent while there is opportunity. Repent of being unwilling or passive or uninvolved. Let us rise out of our sins. We can, by grace, that enabling favor of God if we are willing So the question, my friends, today is, are we willing? Are we willing to be joined with the will of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to see all men come to salvation? Will we step into this glorious quest fully in joy and privilege in walking with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Today, folks, are being confirmed. The liturgy is very clear. This is, this is receiving a fresh touch of the power of the Holy Spirit to do that very thing, to step in with Jesus as his witnesses in the world, to invite others to come to know him in his fullness. And I, I always remind folks, in, in sacramental ministry, liturgical ministry, there are no spectators. So, no spectators today. As some are being confirmed, we remember our confirmation. As we pray for them to receive a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, we pray, Father, pour yourself out upon us again. Renew us and refresh us, that together as the people of God, we will move in rhythm with your heart, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the redemption of the world. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that you have loved us, that you have come to us in the person of your Son, Jesus, that, Father and Son, you have poured out and sent the Spirit into the world and into our lives that we might walk in the fullness of your grace. Today, Lord, refresh and renew not only those who come forward for the laying on of hands, but each of us, pour out your Spirit afresh upon us. Stir up within us the gifts of the Spirit to be witnesses, faithful witnesses, of the glory and the grandeur and the love and the goodness and the saving power of God. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me as you're able and let us confess our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed.